Hello and welcome to the E-Racer Podcast. I'm your host, Park Kligerman, uh, NASCAR driver, and you guys know the rest. I'm joined by Mr. Race Control himself and one of the only people that finds it interesting, Joshua Mendoza. And I got to come up with something different for AJ every single time. Mr. AJ Henderson, also known as Meme Lord and Social Media King at E-Racer. But <laughs> I'm the same come thing up, you said last week. I'm going to come up with something different. Let's get into it. Boom. Right. That was right. beautiful. I love that. That's such a great. It gets me hype. It does. So hype. Your L'Oreal yeah. uses that song too. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah I, yeah. I saw that. It was uh, Brian Blackford pinged us and let us know that there is a L'Oreal commercial that uses the same music as the Eraser intro. No, no, they didn't. It's uh, inherently different. That's, for, yeah, our, sorry. Our lawyer yeah, that was a joke. It is completely different in every <laughs> way. Parker Possibly. actually composed that song himself. Yeah, we made it ourselves. It was key. Uh, guys, real quick, just for everyone out there listening first time, we're only on episode two. We've made it to episode two, which is huge in the podcast world. Not many make it past number one. It's like the startup world, 90%. That's true. Yeah, in the first year, basically. So we, we've made it past one. Uh, quick format of the show. We go into main topics in the motorsports sim racing world. We'll go into some news. We'll have some more sim racing discussion, anything e-race specific. And in addition, this time, because people actually did review and comment on all the places you can listen to this, we'll go through some of our favorites of those. And also, we're doing this in front of a live audience. So we might be taking questions from them uh, here on Discord and a live audience. And also, we may do this on Twitter spaces in the future as well. So this is going to be all over the place. But that's exciting. I, I'm ex- That's pretty... This is innovative, guys. We are at the absolute frontier of podcasting only at episode two yeah i'd like to see you know any other big podcast do this well they don't it's ours they don't exactly and we're huge so what are we talking about how many people do we have listened last week about uh four thousand million something uh yeah it was some it was was some sort of multiplier of that for sure Mm, got it biggest podcast or divisor or i mean it's one of the two right Somewhere around there. Yeah. Some, some math. Some math. Uh, let's get in the main topic of this here episode two of the Eraser podcast. This one comes from you, Josh. And I saw you put it out there on social, and I think it's great. So what is the moment that you can remember that got you into motorsports? Josh, we'll start with you. So this one, um, I had been in and around motorsports, like watched it, but I wasn't really interested into it for quite a while, quite a lot of my life. Um, but the single moment that I remember that got me into motorsports was during the 2012 Daytona 500 when that red flag came out and Juan Pablo Montoya hit the jet dryer. Oh, yeah. Legendary. I, know I remember where I was watching that. That was, I, I don't know what it was, but the, the, the racing that led up to that was already it was pretty intense, and I was like, okay, this is really, really interesting. And then from that point forward, it just kept – I was like, okay, so now we have drivers tweeting in cars. We have them racing to the porta-potties on the backstretch. Everything Stealing about each other's it. hats. Yes, it was – everything about it was like, is this what happens every single week? It was the first race that I had watched in its entirety in probably six or seven years. 
And mm. I was just instantly captivated. It was the first time I was closer to an adult age so I could understand everything that was going on as well. And it was just, I don't know what it was, but it was, it just captivated me from the moment I watched it. And I watched it all the way till the end. However late it finished, it just was an incredible, you know, moment for me to see a race for the first time in its entirety in such a long time. So I realized this question prompt is just going to make me feel old because I was 21 years old when that happened for you. And I ne- I imagine AJ's, which we'll get into in a sec, is going to make me feel really old because I always forget how young you are, AJ. Because you're like Me and Josh are the same you're like, age. You're like a five-year-old. Uh, <laughs> well, let's get into it. What was your first moment that got you into motorsports? Me? Yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> as a kid, I was, this is a story. I thought this out, this story out earlier. So get ready. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, uh, about 2008, I'd have been about nine and I was really big into sports. Right. And my mom was like, Oh, let's redesign your room. Let's remodel it. You know, put some paint on the walls. And I was like, great. I played baseball, soccer, and basketball at that age. So one side of the room was baseball. The other wall in the room was soccer. The other wall was basketball and on the fourth wall was just kind of a big maj page of different sports you know you got football hockey golf and in addition to those there were two posters of two race car drivers one was jeff gordon one was dale earnhardt jr and i wasn't a fan of nascar at the time but i was like okay that's cool i knew they were race car drivers because they had fire suits on i was like "Ooh, race cars are cool Fast forward two years later, it's a Sunday afternoon. I'm bored. I'm at my house. And, you know, as a kid, we didn't have Internet. This is around 2010. I don't think most most house most most households had uh, Internet. In 2010? But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, in 2010. I think many households had Internet. Yeah, there was. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, mine didn't. <laughs> in 1996, so, that would have been a <laughs> I just had basic cable and my usual shows I would watch. You get a little Nickelodeon. I'd watch some the Alien Show on the History Channel, Survivor Man on the Discovery Channel, that Gorilla Sanctuary on Animal Planet. It was great. Uh, but I also like sports, so I'd watch a lot of ESPN. And on this Sunday afternoon, I was like, you know, there's nothing to watch. I'm going to go check out the sports sections. So go to Channel 31. That was FS Ohio. They had a high school basketball game on. I didn't care about that. ESPN 2, that was Channel 32. Clicked on that. Professional bull riding. Pass. Channel 33, the main ESPN, the NASCAR Cup race from Texas, the fall chase race, which is infamous for fights. A fight between Jeff Gordon and Jeff Burton. It wasn't much, it was a little bit of a scuffle, right? Yep. And uh, I'm watching the race, and you know, the incident happened where I don't know if Jeff Gordon slowed up under caution for no reason or if. Jeff Burton just wasn't paying attention, but they ran into each other. Jeff Gordon gets out of the car. He's all mad. He goes down there, throws a couple shots. I was like, oh, my goodness, this dude that's on a poster on my wall is out here throwing hands with this guy. (laughs) This is insane. This is like 15 minutes after I tuned in. Uh, But I was like, "Okay, that was pretty awesome. I'm like, I'm totally in at this point. Tune into the next week. They're like, oh, hey, Texas race is over. They're like, hey, tune in Nationwide Series at Phoenix next week. I'm like, okay, great. Tune in. I'm like, what is this? These cars are completely different. None of the drivers are there. I don't know any of these drivers, uh, but I watched anyways. And I was hooked. 
I love that one. Also, isn't that the uh, infamous Kyle Busch moment at Texas twenty ten? Oh, 2010? oh yeah, didn't oh where he like sat there and yes. he he flipped off one that. of my kind. Yeah, yeah, that was official. definitely with the COTs for sure. Before Game they had the splitters. For like, for like a minute long. <laughs> yeah, that might have been 2010. I might have missed that though. That might have been after I tuned in. Or maybe I just don't remember. I love that. That's awesome. Well, that's good. That's a very wholesome memory. Very yep. thought out. Um, for myself, I was always into cars. I had a ton of model cars when I was younger. Um, they were like my stuffed animals. I actually slept with some of my model cars. And then I really gravitated towards the race cars. And in around 1998, 1999, my family got cable. And similar to you, AJ, they had the Speed Channel. And I saw racing for the first time. And I want to say the first thing I saw was like probably something for one uh, related. And I think the first race I watched was probably like the 99 Monaco Grand Prix or something. I don't even know if that would have been on speed at the time. But I I think it was. Um, I just have this memory of like those late 90s, early 2000 Ferraris at uh, Monaco. I can see the image in my head. Anyway, that moment I saw racing and I was like, I need to be doing that. What what is that and how do I do it? Uh which thus started my love of motorsports and four years later I started go karting for the first time. So it's what really got me into motorsports and is something that's uh unique to me as I find myself working in this sport. It's full of you know, they like to call it a family sport, but it's it's a little bit more nepotism than family in a lot of ways because it's very hard to break into as a new, you know, first generation. And I think uh, it's one of the things I've always been prided myself on doing because I didn't have any family background racing, and my uh, my dad certainly wasn't into it. No one in my family at all was into it. My mom was actually most supportive of me going into racing. So that's uh, that's what broke me into it, and I can say I wanted to be in Formula One. Uh, eventually, past my first year in cars, realized I took the funding in a small country to to get there, and didn't have that at all. So uh, at the time NASCAR was booming, I'd always I'd start watching NASCAR probably later for one, like maybe like oh three oh four, um, and that sort of was how I made the switch to NASCAR as well. But I like these stories, guys. I think that the thing is we all found it on TV. That's yeah, <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, if... uh, we should. You you touched on it a little bit. Uh, some people may not know you originally were moving up the ranks to do open wheel. Yeah, it's true. I, uh, I actually started in road go-karting, um, here in Norwalk, Connecticut. And then the first race car I drove was a skip barber car at Lime Rock. Uh, and I won my first two races in cars there. Uh, one in a complete downpour where I lapped the field up the third place. And then the second was wet to dry won that race an awesome battle. Um, and then I wanted to go in open racing. So I ended up getting the opportunity to go over to do uh, what was called Formula TR it was a Formula Renault series on the West Coast and raced against none other than Alexander Rossi for a season. Although he didn't do the whole series because he was also doing the Skip Barber National Series at the time, so there's some date conflicts. But um, you know, he and I were sparring partners for about a year, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then we went our different paths. I went the oval route, and he went stuck with the oval route, and uh, eventually got to Formula One, which was impressive. So. Pretty cool uh, in that sense. I can say I did that. But I, the other thing that this leads to, guys, and I know this moment exactly was, you know, because this podcast is about motorsports and sim racing, I can remember the moment that I got into sim racing because I 
was playing a lot of PS2 racing games, obviously, as I got super into racing. And then I slowly shifted into to, um, computer games because I saw that you could race more people online than you could on PS2. And so I started with F1 Challenge 99 through 02, which had this whole modding system of like sports car challenge and all these different things. And you could race up to like 18 people. But the moment I found sort of what led to, you know, being a part of iRacing and such was I was watching a broadcast on OLN TV of this league called CRSOL. And it was the finale of their truck series championship. And I felt like it was the biggest thing I had ever seen. And that you could, I've looked up the game in 2003 and I'm like, oh my gosh, you can race with 43 people online. Sign me up. And I remember asking my mom for her credit card at the time to be able to buy it. Um, and I remember it arriving and getting online and, you know, experiencing in 2003, which, uh, you know, got me into stock cars. And then eventually, you know, that became what we know as iRacing now. So, and now we do some of the biggest broadcasts. So I, I hope there's some young kid out there watching with our broadcast and thinking, I need to be in sim racing. How do I do that? And uh, join up on iRacing. So, what's that- your guys' one? Josh, you go first. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. Mine... So oh, this is such a difficult one because for myself, it isn't an, an instantaneous moment of sim racing. It is just an overtime moment. Um, but the first real, uh, so we had a couple of games growing up as a, as a kid. We had NASCAR 07, 08, 09. We got all of those for my dad. Every Christmas we would get him the, the new NASCAR game. It, would, it was just it was a static present that was great. He he knew he was going to get it. He would play it a few times per year. I occasionally hopped on it, but I kind of knew sim racing from that, but I was never really great at it. The game, my first sim racing game that I ever got into was for, Forza Motorsport 4. Um, and I don't know if either one of you guys had ever played that, but that was like a truly, really cool and revolutionary game that dropped on the 360. It felt like I was getting into it. They had the Top Gear hosts, the original three Top Gear hosts, kind of talking you through the racing and all that. And that got me super into it. But then what got me into really competitive sim racing had to have been around 2015, 2016, I bought iRacing or, or got a subscription for it. And... I quickly found myself realizing I wasn't as good as I wanted myself to be. And I also knew I wasn't going to have that ability to get that good without spending way more time than I had to allocate towards it. So I went and at the time I had started a thing called the Driver Spotter Alliance. It was something that I wanted to do. And I realized that a lot of the drivers wanted to drive and very few people wanted to spot which was I was on the other side I just wanted to spot for people and other drivers didn't trust a spotter that they never had and so that whole driver spotter alliance thing that I wanted to kind of get up and running where you get spotters and drivers connected up so they can work together and you have good connections I realized it was a non-start and so I put away sim racing until just around when the pandemic started and for some of you the pandemic was your first interaction with sim racing for me it was a an old friend that i hadn't seen in a while so i renewed my subscription then and boom uh one thing led to another with the pro invitational series i met landon and parker over the 24 hours of the nurburgring it was i think right yep and from there 
Eraser was founded after we did the original LCQC, and then Firecracker 2020 happened, and the rest is history. Boom. AJ? Wow. I never knew about the whole driver spotter thing. That's neat. Uh, That's nerdy as hell, by the way. That is very nerdy. I, You know, it's as somebody who sucks at sim racing, and I will be the first to admit the place for me on track is completely off it. It was it was for me to try and have something to do in iRacing racing when I knew racing wasn't for me. Nah. All right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, for me, it was a long, tumultuous tale. So I got into NASCAR in like 2010, right? 2013 ish uh, is when my family was like, "Hey, we can get this internet thing with our TV." I was like, "Ah, that's great." I got a tablet around that time. I started watching all sorts of NASCAR videos that led to me finding iRacing, which also led me to finding NR 2003. And so all these years from 2013 until I got iRacing in 2018, I would play a good amount of NR 2003, not too much, but a decent amount. Uh, but I was mostly playing like Gran Turismo and Forza, like Josh. Uh, funny story. Back to when I was first getting into sim racing online. Uh, back in like 2013, there was a YouTuber I came across called Seth Cole, who did these offline NR2003 leagues. Have you, ever, have you guys ever heard of these? Where like mm-hmm. you pick a car number and then the AI simulates the race. Um, yep. This is I what get he tagged in them all the time. Yeah, this is what he does. Uh, he still does it to this day. He's been doing it for like a decade now. And because of that, it's really funny. So I've been watching these since like 2013. I don't watch them as much as I used to, but they're still neat to go back and look at. Uh, he's been doing these for a decade. So he's been commentating on these races for a decade all the time. And now he's commentating on iRacing races and he's amazing at it. So he's been like honing his craft doing these offline NR2003 leagues. For a long time and now he's doing like actual eye racing stuff and he's um, incredible at it that's just a cool part of the story i wanted to tell but yeah i was wow. a long time viewer of sim racing and now <laughs> i sim race you and i had a very similar introduction so yeah i'm uh i'm glad we did that little segment because it tells our listeners more about who we are and why we're here so that was really good. I think, though, for this podcast to stay true to itself, we do have to head in some actual topics within the racing world at this current juncture um, as a main topic. Well, Josh wanted to get into something that his girlfriend has suddenly taken up um, that, unbeknownst to him and unprompted, Josh, I think is the most incredible part. Uh, she is now a Film 1 fan. Yeah, I'm. so I think it was probably... Right after we finished our recording last week or somewhere in there, I got a text from my girlfriend saying, just so you know, I'm watching Drive to Survive. And I'm, at, I'm on episode three already, and I'm completely committed. <laughs> she, So what had happened was she knew I had watched Formula One. She knew I got up super early on in the morning to watch the, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, and she also has been there. She's watched a few races. They've been on in the background. She's really not focusing on them. And so I told her at one point, hey, you should watch Drive to Survive. I And she had ignored it. She's like, okay, and this was like four or five months ago. Another one of her friends at her work, 
she was like, hey, do you watch Drive to Survive? And she's like, no, I don't. And she's like, you totally should. It is super captivating. I wish you had because I want to talk to you about this this race that just happened. So she went home that night and started watching F1. And his we're already halfway through season two, basically. I, I joined her along the ride because you got to see this somebody's first experience with F1. It's just so interesting to hear their takes. And this is just an outstanding, like, ripple effect of what happened in Abu Dhabi, making all the news. It's getting more fans as much as people probably don't like what happened there. It ended up being, in my opinion, a beneficial thing for them. Oh, 100%. So I have this thing. Well, first of all, I'm not alone in this. There's no such thing as bad news, right? And Fumble 1, to piggyback off this, Josh, Fumble 1 for years, as, as you guys have learned and some others in the world are learning, that obviously I've been following Fumble 1 for a long time, used to have this knack for driving headlines in an off-season, unlike any other motorsport. And a lot of it I always believed, and if you read um, some of the books are out there about the formation of Fumble 1 and some of the business that went down in the late 90s when they were in a huge impasse between the teams and Bernie Ecclestone and wanting to get more money from the series and so on and so forth. Every motorsport discussion or motorsport series ends up at that discussion at some point, but there was a pretty uh, tumultuous time, I would call it, in the late 90s um, where they even, the team threatened to create a breakaway series called the GP, I can't remember the name of it, GPA or I No, it's GP Drivers Association. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, the point of it was they used to, like at that time, in that era, have this knack for causing these headlines to to navigate throughout the offseason. And a lot of it, I felt like, came from Bernie Ecclestone. He would say outlandish things. Like one one offseason, he might say after Michael Schumacher won the championship, you know, this guy's no good. He's just winning because he has a fast car. Then the next year, he might say something like, I think Ferrari needs to leave. They're they're too much, too big of a brand. Or he'll say just ridiculously outlandish stuff. And I always felt like this kind of got ingrained into the ethos of Formula 1. When you look at the headlines and the, the, the media coverage that occurs in the offseason. And so as you pointed out, when this all went down... I couldn't help but laugh because I was like, oh, this is so typical for one. They're now going to have a narrative for months, weeks after the season ends where that's going to drive headlines and continue to drive interest and discussion. And that's something that as any sport, you know, back in the day, the headlines were content. Now it's just content, we call it, but it's very important. And so I'm down, actually, as most people know, uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but this past week I was in the Bahamas with a buddy of mine. We went down there. Um, just to hang out, have some vacation, play some sports, whatever. And we're in the pool one day, like three or four days into our vacation. And he turns to me and goes, by the way, can you tell me what happened in that full one race, the last one? And I was like, oh my gosh, we're still talking about it. <laughs> and my buddy doesn't watch full one. He's not into racing. The only races he ever watched are my races. Um, he hasn't watched Drive Survive. But he even knows about from one and all the drivers. And that's something that's really filtered through my whole friend group and everyone I know from Drives 5 is they know who the drivers are now. Like five, ten years ago, if you told me that people like my buddy were going to be asking me or knowing even any of the drivers in the sport, I would be like, well, that's that's far-fetched. Like I always felt from one would grow in America. I didn't know what the catalyst would be, but that seems so far-fetched. And to add on to this, my sister, who's a couple years younger than me, 
recently, in the last couple months, Cousin Drive Survive will text me Lewis Hamilton things that he says or asking me about or seen after qualifying if he was the fastest and being like, look how amazing he is and that sort of thing. And I'm just like, what world am I living in? What's <laughs> incredible what content can do. Like, it's incredible. How does it happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, thanks. they absolutely kill it. Formula One when it comes to content, for sure. Um, I have a similar thing, kind of like with you, Parker, where I have uh, specifically one friend that I work with who he doesn't have the time to watch the races on the weekends, but every Monday morning, he's like, how'd Max do? How'd Max do? How'd Max do? And that is funny, actually. Abu Dhabi, the last race, he comes in Monday morning. He's like, oh, yeah, go Max for staff. And I was like, oh, you watched the race? And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, I was driving somewhere and I was in the passenger seat watching it the whole time. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, so, Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Yeah. Well, that gives up a good point, which I've always had this theory. And I think Full One does a great job of it right now. We've seen it, what they're why their growth has been so, uh, you know, why they've had such huge growth in the last couple of years, aside from Drive to Survive, is that they do an excellent job of content in terms of if you don't watch the races, you can still feel from their content what happened, the, you know, the velocity of their content keeps you up to date, and you have this ability to be consider yourself a fan of the sport without ever actually watching the sport. I'll give you an example. Myself with golf, I find golf interesting. I play golf a couple times a year. I find some of the top players like really cool and understand how good they are. And obviously, Tiger Woods was probably my introduction to golf through my brother. But I don't watch golf matches on TV. Like I very rarely. The Masters, I'll watch the Masters, none of the others. But if I just follow the right things on social media, I can almost feel up to date, right? Like that is always so – I think that's one of the most um, untapped areas for professional sports, especially motorsports, is being able to understand – what kind of content you have to be putting out and the velocity of content to allow people to feel like they're a fan of the sport without ever watching. On yeah. TV. That's a like big watching thing. the sport, right? Like that's, that's now. And I think, you know, NASCAR, we've, we've done an okay job. Then I think, you know, like if you look at even like NASCAR and NBC, Instagram, like you generally have highlights and the sort of things that are, you know, sort of allowing you to understand what's happening. And that's one of the things I think that we lost when we had no practice of qualifying is you don't have, the three days worth of people there that are putting out quotes and they're, then they're reposting those quotes on Instagram and on Twitter and, you know, so on and so forth. So I think that's a really interesting thing that, you know, the, that ability to consider yourself a fan without actually watching the sport on the like live broadcast is so important. Yeah. It's more of like a culture instead yeah. of just a sport, right? Yeah, exactly. No, it's hundred percent, hundred percent it. I no mean, matter gotta, what corner you turn, there's F1 content there. Video games, F1's got a game. Or you have iRacing as well, you know? Yep. No, we got movies. Well, they got those documentaries. They got those. Yeah. We got to figure it out for eraser. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what this podcast is, though. <laughs> it's true. We're trying <laughs> to stay in your face. You can't hide from us. Exactly. You know, I was just going to mention, like, it, it's not just like F1 is there at every corner, it's there at every corner. And it's good at every corner. Drive to Survive is an incredibly well-put-together docuseries that covers the drivers and gets you to know them. The F1 games are incredibly well-refined games. They may be... They'll add features and stuff, but they're stuff that you, you just can't say with all of the other, you know, 
different leagues out there that do stuff like that, they don't have stuff that's up to that F1 tier. And I don't know what it is, but they just realize that the investment to make it worth your time is so much more important. Well, and you should know they made huge investments in that. Um, <laughs> when Liberty Media bought Football One, um, <laughs> I think it was something like the whole Football office was in the tens of people. And within like six to eight or like maybe a year or two, it was the iPhone office was hundreds of people. Um, so like they made considerable investments into content creation, you know, social media, so on and so forth. And yeah, they've they been take their brand and they, they yeah. go like with esports, for example, they went all in with F1 esports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you and mentioned the calendar of the actual races and the calendar of the F1 esports on the same calendar on their website. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. F1 esports, it's all integrated with the normal F1 stuff and F2 and F3 on their site. Oh, yeah. That's and that's the other thing I want to mention. The fact that F1 is tweeting, you know, less than a week after they crowned their real life champion, their sim racing champion from the F1 Twitter account as like yep. as if it's the re- oh, man, that is just like. To me, I know NASCAR does that, and I and I'm not not to discredit NASCAR. They do a great job on that, but they do the same level of coverage for their sim racing stuff as their real life stuff on the same Twitter account, and that just it boggles and blows my mind. Now the template is it's there, it's impressive, um, and I think uh, you know all motorsports have taken note, and especially in the last even before the Drive to Survive Euphoria and the, you know Euphoria of this year, I can tell you that you know a lot of the other motorsports forums were already looking at what was going on there um, and, you know, sort of paying attention to what Full One was doing and the content creation. And I think everyone's been after that, but I think that's every business thing, you know, it's about the community and it's about getting the people involved and it's allowing them to touch and interact with the sport 24, seven, 365. And, you know, we're all trying to figure that out. So uh, guys, that's the main topics. We've got to move into the news. We each take a topic, maybe two, some of us, I don't know. Uh, and you know, want to oh. sort of put it out there and discuss it. So, you got two, eh? No, I'm a, I don't think I have two. I think oh. I only have one. Okay. I might have two. We'll see. I have one. If anyone else brings Maybe. it up, we don't tell each other what we have either. So, uh, this is entirely new to each of us. Josh, you want to start? I've started with every other one. Why doesn't AJ start with this one? Oh, well, AJ's starting then. Okay. If I take yours, don't, don't be complaining. I'm, I'm not going to complain. Okay. Uh, Mine was going to be the Mars situation with Mars leaving. Did we land on Mars? Yeah. The, no, not is Elon Mars. Musk there? The, the candy company Mars. Uh, they are leaving Joe Gibbs Racing in the 18 car in NASCAR. Gone. Yeah. Out of oh, here. What? A lot of people. That was just news today, Josh, if you didn't know. I've uh, been living under... I've been asleep this whole morning. I pretty much just woke up to record a podcast. <laughs> oh, you really did you know. actually not know that? No, this no, is news. Not. This is crazy. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, 2022 is their last season on the 18 car, I believe. If I okay, so they're staying for next. I thought they were like completely gone. No. Nope, you one more year of candy. Okay. Uh, so a lot of people, there's a lot of different takes online about what it means for the sport. I think a lot of them are hyperbolic. Uh what do you boys think? So I'm with you because, you know, motorsports is funny because these sponsors become so integral to 
how we view and connect with the sport, right? Because the M&M's car is something that, and it's what's its greatest advantage and also sometimes it's disadvantage where that car has this identity of being the M&M's car. Like for a long time, what was it? 15 years or something they've been doing this. Um, and, and that, and there being an M&M's car, NASCAR has been decades, right? And it's like when they, after that long, of a marketing program, which has got, you know, motorsports marketing programs have to be some of the longest in all of professional sports up in the last couple of Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Yeah. Where some of these companies are signing these massive naming rights deals for the stadiums, right. That are 10 years long, whatever. I mean, no other sport has a sponsor that just sticks around time after time. And is so visible to what, you know, the entity of the sport or the sporting star. So I think, you know, everyone can tell you, obviously, these companies, they they eventually get to the point where they've gotten the value out of it. Um, I think, you know, for M&Ms, there was a lot of B2B value in what they were doing and working with different entities within the sport. And eventually, you get to a point where you've been there so long, it's like, hey, while, you know, we love this, and we enjoy it, could we not be taking this money and spending it elsewhere or differently or whatever? So I think it's uh, it's natural. I saw Kenny Wallace had a thing where he was like, hey it's pretty cool. They let them know this far in advance. And I will, you know, attest to that as a racer and someone who's been in those sponsorship discussions, you know, lead time of this level where it sounds like maybe they were even noticed, you know, notified earlier this year. That's incredible lead time. That's a great partner. That's, that's not a sponsor. That's a partner that's said, Hey, look, we've got a, we want to make some changes and reevaluate blah, blah, but we're not going to just pull the rug from under you. We're going to give you this huge amount of lead time to replace us, whatever, talk to other companies. Maybe we can help introduce you. Who knows? So I think that part is great. And I think with that amount of lead time, that sort of thing, some exciting, you know, most likely some tech company or crypto company or something like that will replace it because those are the ones spending money these days. And, you know, then we'll move on. Or another candy company. Ooh, Ooh. who knows? It's the Wonka car. But, it's the Dorval car. <laughs> I agree, though. I don't think... I was thinking about it earlier. I don't know if there's another industry in the world. There might be, and somebody can, can correct me if I'm wrong, where these companies invest sponsorship-wise for decades, in some cases. I don't know if no there way. is another. I don't there's know if no it anywhere else other than motorsports. Not the visibility. You, do, you obviously have NFL teams and the MLB oh, yeah, teams. Of sort of thing that have it on the... You know, they may be on the you know, the size, the the, the, something like that, but it's not as visible. It's not as like, it's not like you, it's you not know, their rename. Yeah. You're not renaming it. The M&Ms, you know, uh, Yankees, right. You're not, but you know, foam right. one teams can be the Patronus Mercedes for one team. So it's like you bought naming rights to the whole thing. Like that just doesn't happen, which is the value, right? We're, we're more open to that because the sponsors are integral to allowing us to go race. But it's uh, it's very interesting, you know, when they pull out sort of the backlash when it's like, hey, wait, they've been here a long time. Yeah, they invested so much into it. And it costs a lot of money to, you know, fund a, a cup car. So maybe they were, you know, they found another route where they want to invest in and get some ROI out of. And, you know, you can't blame them for that. 100%. If they're not able to replace them, that would be a scary part. But I have a feeling. They oh, will. that team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hey, you know, All right. Kyle's out of I'm the gonna, ride. No, yeah, Josh, no, I'm, I'm not even going to let you go next. I'm going to go next. Okay, you go ahead. I'm going to just do this. So, uh, saw a thing about 
from not to, like everyone's going to think this is an F1 podcast pretty soon, but it's really some of the most wait is it to talk about? Oh, it's not. I, that's what I've been talking about. Yeah, I guess we are an F1. Who knows? Anyway, uh, I saw a thing from Total Wolf where he wanted to get rid of the radio chat between the F1 race control and team principals like himself and Christian Horner. And he was pretty um, self, I guess, admonishing in where he said, look, it's probably my fault that we had this in the first place because I was part of Ross Braun and, and for one and saying, hey, we should show this. It's great content, which it has been great content. He's like, but I've also ruined it, and my, you know, myself and Christian Horner because we're on there lobbying in the ear of the guy trying to make dis- decisions to go our way. And he's like, I don't know if this is the way we should be doing this for the sport and everything. I'm just gonna have to disagree with him and be like, hey, look, that is compelling content, and I know Formula One is on a big high right now, but you have got to continue to produce that content. And then the more boring races that aren't as exciting as what we had this season, which there inevitably will be races where one guy drives away from the field by 10 seconds. And you know, it's not that fun to watch those little moments, those interjections of a different point of view of showing the race control side of showing this discussion and how this all goes down. I think it's, it's incredible and no way should they remove it. And that's my news and my opinion. You know, I kind of agree with you there, but I also, being somebody who has to deal with people who are constantly trying to tell me that I'm wrong, um, it it is a consistently annoying thorn in my side, especially when my job is to just make a decision. And then they're trying to tell me something that could or couldn't be the truth. And it... I understand for competitive reasons why they want to get rid of it, but for entertainment reasons, I completely 100% agree with you, Parker. Yeah. I mean, especially for Michael Massey, he went from, you know, being somebody, you know, diehard sports fans know who watch F1. They knew that Michael Massey was, you know, the race director, the race control that existed to him being broadcasted onto races. Uh, and now ever since the debacle went down, there's like people spray painting on the side of buildings, Michael Massey <laughs> out as race director or whatever. That's... He's getting all, he's getting flamed everywhere. They sell him as an it. NFT? Probably. I'm sure there is one. Uh, I'm sure that has to be extremely stressful for him and uh, his team. I mean, I've gotten flamed for calls I've made before and I'm just a sim racing race controller. Yeah. I can only imagine I, what I he's going through. I blocked you on Twitter for three months because I, of a race control decision you made. You did? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't even know. I would have blocked him and this podcast would have been over if he gave me a penalty at that Monday Night Racing League. Oh, man. You, I got a sound clip for you, Parker. It's called a motor race, okay? There you go. Oh, uh, now we're banned. <laughs> <laughs> um, No, that's... uh. That is, um, no, it's funny. It's, it, you know, I, I love how much people hate and love the interaction with, with race control. I think it's hilarious. It's nobody loves race control. Everyone hates them at least once in their life. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. What's your topic you want to bring? Uh, so my topic is the LA Coliseum is now beginning preparations for the clash at the Coliseum on February 6th. Um, they're going to begin building the uh, the racetrack, and 
I'm excited as all heck. I am 100% going to try and make it down there. I already have my flights booked, got my hotels booked. I'm going to be there at that race, and I'm trying. I'm going to try to be up close and personal in the garage, checking it out, checking out the new cars and all that. But I am beyond excited for a real short track race on the West Coast. I am so hyped about this. I think I'm with you, man. I think it's going to be cool. I mean, no matter what, it's just such a cool idea to bring the races to the fans that way or to an area that, you know, would be historically incredibly tough to do that. Um, Obviously, it's a very cool area. I've had friends. I have a lot of friends who live in L.A. now, including my sister, but a lot of my best friends moved out there, you know, the whole NYC to L.A. uh, with a plain emoji on your Instagram style thing. And I have heard from them being like, hey, do you know about this race? Like, uh, you know, like, this seems cool. Are you going to be in it? Blah, blah. And so... I think it's uh, it's definitely, and I saw that report that they expect like sixty percent of the ticket buyers to be, you know, first time ticket buyers to a NASCAR race. That's all great. It's innovative. Why not try it? Um, you know, will remains to be seen what kind of racing they'll put on. But I don't, I don't even know if I care. Like it's just the idea. It's the you know the the event. It's gonna feel like a big event. It's right there around the Super Bowl. Like there's just so many cool things with this that you know kudos nascar and i've I've said to ben kennedy and those guys who made it happen just being like hey look that is that is a cool idea and i don't care what anyone says you know no reason not to try to go after it i agree on the uh it's a you know it's a cool idea my i think it's cool in general my one worry about it is in a way it kind of shows like, what are we showing new fans? Like, they're going to see, like, a Bowman Gray-style bump and bang and race, but... Hell yeah! Then they decide to go to Auto Club a couple weeks later, and it's just giant track. They can't even see the whole thing. The cars get more spread out. They're not bumping and banging. And then they're like, what the heck? Well, that would be my either. one concern. It is true. It is true. Shows all but. the different, you know, types of racing. I've said, look, NASCAR right now, in the last couple of years, you've got to be one of the most diverse skill set drivers on the planet to win in NASCAR and win a championship because or to be at the front, right? Think about what we race on. Big super speedways. No one else does that. It's entirely not replicated anywhere else in the racing world. You go to short tracks, of course that's replicated. It's where a lot of people start. You go to mile and a half, which are slowly falling away or becoming far more unique. Um, you know, and each one is trying to find its own unique style and version of that sort of track. You go to road courses, traditional road courses, a dirt track. I mean, literally a dirt track. And now this stadium track and obviously eventually a street course of some sort. So, I mean, that's every type there is. There's nothing that's left. I don't know. I mean, we could go ice racing next. And, we, you know, I mean, that might maybe that's the next frontier. I don't foresee that. That's a great idea. Soon. I don't foresee that one. Um, but, you know, that's about all that's left is ice or snow. So. I don't know. It's uh, to me that shows diversity. It's one of motorsports' best selling points. Is that the playing surface changes, the equipment changes. You know, it is an incredibly dynamic sport um, that doesn't really get you know the credit for that, but it is. It's very dynamic. I I completely agree. And I so the whole idea. I I don't know if anyone else is here. I know Parker, you have. Um, AJ, I don't know if you haven't, uh, or if have or haven't, but Fontana Raceway, California Auto Club Speedway, it was supposed to be the LA market. 
And for anyone who's ever been to that track, that is not the LA market. That is an hour and a half, two hour drive from LA. And well, what time of the day? It, exactly. I mean, that you know, you might be able to get there an hour if you're leaving at midnight, but if it's five o'clock, it's a four, three, four hour drive just to get there. And it is so far out of the way, and it there's nothing around. Whereas the Coliseum is literally a thirty minute drive at worst, but typically a ten minute drive from downtown LA and it is right on a college campus where a bunch of people who are the target audience of NASCAR are currently staying in dorms I mean how is that not gonna that's gonna that's gotta be a hugely popular event oh yeah no and as I like to say about LA it's the only place in the world where you can ask how far away something is they'll be like well if you leave before two ten minutes but if you leave after about three or four days to take you to get there so yeah (laughs) exactly that place is ridiculous in that sense I'm excited for it it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really weird but cool at the same time to see this like weird tiny little track that we don't know how it's supposed to even race with these cars that we don't even know how we're supposed to race. There's going to be people tuning in for the first time who don't even know, like, this is a, a brand new car, completely yep. different than any other car ever in NASCAR. They could capitalize off that as well. People might like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. All right. I think we dived into this further, far enough. Let's move on. Any sim racing topics out there, guys, catching your eye? Here yes. Do. Oh. oh, really? This is going to go right. live tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this on Monday, but tomorrow is the finale of the eNASCAR Coca-Cola Contender Series, Ooh, where they determine the next 20 drivers who are going to go and bid their their chance at $300,000 for uh, for next year, the 2022 eNASCAR Coca-Cola Series. Do we have a point standings we can look at real quick? Yeah, I, let me let me uh, let me get this to you guys right now. It I'm is- excited for that. Where's the race at? Um, I think it is, uh, no, it's at Texas, Texas. Yeah. I just sent it to you guys here, but right now, as it stands, there are four drivers within three points of each other, right at the cut line. Oh, wow. Okay. So we got Colin Keister, Dylan Alt, Donovan Strauss, Caden Honeycutt, Blake Reynolds, and Brad LaPlatte locked in, it appears. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, at the the cut line. Oh, we got we've got a lot of people we know and who have raced in e-racer events here. We got we got Malik Ray. He is three points to the good, as well as Liam Brotherton and Brian Mercurio. We have a we have an e-racer sticker on Liam's car. Yes, we do. Uh yeah. Jordy Lopez, three back. Derek Justice, six back. Jake Nichols, nine back. Chris Sherburn, thirteen back. Santiago Tires, nineteen. Anthony Burroughs, twenty one. Very interesting. Well, you get, so, and then you got Blake McCandless twenty four out. You gotta if you're gonna go to Anthony Burroughs, get to Blake McCandless too. Oh yeah, Blake at twenty four. Yeah, he still has a shot. Yeah, he does. There's there's a couple of drivers that are eliminated thirty second through fortieth right now. But um, what's the last track? The last track is gonna be Texas, or the last one they raced at. No, yeah, the last one they raced at. Yeah, that'll be that'll be at Texas. They went to Phoenix, Homestead, Auto Club, Nashville, Dover, and Darlington thus far. They have one drop week, and for those of you who aren't into sim racing, a drop week is basically, imagine you had one race to just delete from record. Everyone has their worst result deleted from the record, so it's technically six points races, but you race seven, and you delete the worst one that you you performed at. Mm, Got it. Well, 
I won't comment specifically on any drivers, but I just want to say that this is such a cool thing that you can do in sim racing where these drivers are now going to automatically move up if they are in those top 20 and have a chance to then be at the highest level of sim racing. And to think how many drivers have that chance and how many people that are on the iRacing service right now could start that journey next year and have a chance to eventually get there. I think that's one of the, you know, the coolest things about sim racing. And it just, I know I harp on all the time that the access is there and, you know, the financial barrier, financial entry or the financial barrier of entry. I just said that all convolutedly backed up. But anyway, that this is such a testament. And I just know that this is going to be a bigger thing that people will be paying more attention to this because it's amazing that you could, you could be listening to this podcast right now and have never sim raced. Start right this moment, and maybe, what, a year, year and a half, you could find yourself at the highest level. I just think that's all. Yeah, if you put the time in and, you know, if you have the skill, you can do it. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, one of the things that, um, as an eNASCAR owner, I have always paid attention loosely to that series as, as I, best I can in terms of just like, hey, who's doing well? How, you know, what are they, uh, where are they excelling? That sort of thing. And it's, uh, it's where we make our decisions. So we're paying attention. We're looking at it. We're scouting those drivers because that's who uh, we have to decide to drive our cars and represent us the next year. So it's a very, it's integral that side too. And I can tell you from the eNASCAR owners chat that there's, uh, there's, I'm not the only one who's paying attention. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's like any other sport, you know, the farm league is as almost, as important as the top league because it's where the newest talent is going to come from. And I love how much, how variable it is. Like you have drivers who are in the Coke series for maybe two years. They have a bad year. They get shoved down there and then they don't even make it through there. And it's a whole new crop of names that get to the top. And I know there's some that be like, Oh, then you can't build stars and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, Hey, no, I think the stars are the ones you stay. Like that's, that is the point. It's hard to stay there. And it's, you know, it can maybe it's hard to get there and it's hard to stay. So I think that's uh, the variable, you know, how variable that is, is also another selling for just how cool it is. Yeah. Should we, uh, should we move on to some questions? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Now. Let's check. Uh, we got some from Twitter and as well as the discord chat. Oh, okay. Uh, we start with, you, start, you just, you start them and we'll go that way. Yeah. Best story from the Bahamas. From Joseph Selby, NASCAR fan. Um, were you guys in the Bahamas too? Uh, no, just I have I have story? a story from the Bahamas, but why don't we go with you? Uh, I think the best was just that chat when my buddy brought up F one. That was incredibly cool. So that and um, like any vacation, I need to learn that vacation doesn't mean that you just have to drink the whole time. So once I learn that, I'll I'm gonna be pretty excited about life. <laughs> Absolutely. The Bahamas is where I I got drunk for the very first time in my life, so I can appreciate. That. Whoa, whoa! Yeah, whoa. I was eighteen. I could legally drink there, so I uh, right. I, w- I went to Senior Frogs right off the cruise ship and had plenty of plenty of liquid courage to say the least, and enjoyed myself. <laughs> that was a there was nothing else to do on the island. They were like, you could pay four hundred dollars or three hundred dollars to go to Atlantis for two hours. Or I could pay a lot less and have a much longer lasting hangover. It is one of the most expensive islands once you're not there, no doubt. Uh, but it's so awesome that it's 80 degrees and sunny and, you know, it's December. So 
I love it down there. The furthest I've gone away from Ohio was Wisconsin. So I, I was there with you in Wisconsin. Fun, you were. We got to get. We're gonna. We got to change that. We got to open up your world. Yeah, let's go to Antarctica and record a podcast there. <laughs> That's a little far. Okay, a little far. Emmett well, and Scott okay. South Pole Station. I'll see you right there. We'd okay, have to record about question. seventeen on the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is from Sean McLaren. Uh, when will there be a competition show on the AJ is in fact the fastest on the sticks? Good question. You should explain that means on a controller. We on a controller. Yeah, we got to set this up. So if any anyone listening out there who I saw that you tweeted about someone who thought they were the fastest, we not. want the best of the best. We want the best of the absolute best. Prove you're on a controller and let's have a race because we'll come up with some format and a prize. But you know. I don't think there's anyone faster than you. I just, I'd be, I, I don't think so. Either. I would be shocked. Absolutely I'm, shocked. I'm, I'm pretty goaded and consistent, like consistently fast. It's unbelievable. Yeah. AJ, AJ you. you forgot to put humble on there too. <laughs> well, no, we're not, we're not about that life. <laughs> no. Once no. we get some more, once we get some more zeros in our bank account, then we'll worry about that. Yeah, exactly. We, I got to win some controller cash from these competitions. <laughs> That's going to be the name of the event controller cash. Yeah, there you go. Oh, okay. Man. Uh this is from TJ Hanley. NASCAR drivers, iRacing Challenge. Should the iRacing iRacing broadcast team be covering the races instead of the Fox crew? Is there an iRacing Fox I think broadcast? He, I many I think he meant the pro invitational. Oh. Yeah, which I don't think will be coming back anytime soon. But if it did, hypothetically speaking. Um yeah, I think for that audience, if it's on TV, why wouldn't it be just the the, the people they know? I think it would have been fun if they, you know, brought in a uh, that someone that's more native to the Syracuse world. I, I, you know, when we did the NBC um, versions of that, and when we put the Coke series on TV, it was, it was like a mix. Yeah, it was a mix. And, yeah, it was great. You know, Mitra, and you still have Steve Yeah, but Steve Tard and you know, just sort of a little sometimes. bit more of a mix. Yeah, and he does NASCAR races, as I've done a couple, and so. I think that's the best way because, you know, if it's too inside baseball, it can be tough. But Evan Pasoko does a great job. He's the voice of the series. You know, if, if the Coke series were on TV, I'd always like to see him involved. Because um, I think he's, yeah, he's too good. He does a great job of that. Yeah. And uh, should real drivers be expected to treat the sim more serious than not as just a video game? That has been a topic oh. of conversation for a very long time. Sim racing over the years. Uh, yeah. You know, real life drivers coming in and, you know, maybe they rub a sim racer the wrong way, particularly in like official races on iRacing. And then, you know, it blows up on Reddit. Uh, I think this is more in terms of the provocational, but Parker, as a real life driver, what do you think? Well, I'm going to flip this to uh, Josh because he actually has to, you know, officiate a bunch of real life people that race. In oh, the there you go. Yeah. Josh, so how serious do they take it, and do you take offense when they don't? I, I wouldn't say I take offense to it. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of a lot of sim racing is it's a very serious thing, and for a lot of people, it is their their racing outlet. Um, I think real drivers, when they get onto the platform, they should respect that. Um, but it doesn't mean they can't have fun with it, and I think a lot of people they they get a little too serious on it. But as I deal with so. I, I'm the race official for Monday Night Racing, which is the industry league that gets broadcasted onto Podium Esports. 
Um, and they have a lot of real-life drivers. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kyle Busch, Parker Kligerman. Um, they have a lot of real-life drivers. Um, and some of them, they they are they're so used to being good that when they're racing with other real-life drivers or other fast iRacing people, they don't know how to race clean. And they just kind of... They'll, they'll move somebody out of the way. They'll wreck somebody. And then I got to deal with the uh, people that they move out of the way they wreck. And sometimes they don't really care because at the end of the day, they get out of their rig. They don't got to pay cash to anybody for, you know, knocking out or breaking a component on a car. And that's it. They could learn to respect a little bit more the people that do race this and try to race as clean as possible. But I don't think it's necessarily a lot of them treat it like a game or a joke. Um, at least the ones who get on on their own accord, people who are forced on to like during the pro invitational series, it's kind of hard not to have them just treat it like a joke because to them it's their Wednesday five o'clock thing that they got to do for their racing team. And they're going to treat it with as much effort as they feel like they need to, in order to make everybody happy. Um, Agreed. And I'm going to say from my perspective, I've always thought with sim racing as a real life driver, you get out of it what you put into it. And that goes from people asking if it can be used to be a tool for real life and learning tracks or learning to how to drive different cars. You get out of it what you put into it. If you want to treat it fake and all that sort of stuff, of course, that's what you're going to get out of it. Um, I take that for leagues, too. If you race people ridiculously and do things you wouldn't do in a real life situation because it's a sim. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get out of that what you put into it. So, you know, for myself, I always find it most fun where, you know, the hard racing is maybe a touch harder than real life because you can kind of get away with it. But, you know, you but in a way, in a manner that doesn't force you guys into a wreck or some, you know, net code situation or something like that. So um, I I think that totally depends on the driver, depends on what they're trying to, you know, if they're trying to have fun or treat it seriously or find you know a way to to race so i uh i don't have a problem you know any of it i think the coolest thing about racing is that you have what other sport can you go and play against the top you know athletes of the sport on any week night day at any time and completely you know unbeknownst to you that person just shows up and suddenly you're racing against them or competing against them it just doesn't happen so Except for an eye racing, so yeah. I think it's the coolest yeah, thing for merchants. Literally just eye racing. I guess NR two thousand three too. But if you go it on did, some other racing know. games, you didn't know. Yeah, you didn't know. But that's the thing with like a lot of other racing games. You could be racing against Charles Leclerc, but he may be on his Xbox account that you don't know the username yeah. for or whatever. He's an. So it's really a. It's a very eye racing specific thing. Well, yeah, to steal it, from the crypto world. He's he's anon. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah, he's they're going anon. Uh, there you uh, go. The which I will I have said before. Sometimes there I not even you know for even for myself. There's times where I like would like to just go into a truck race and not be asked 47 times if I'm the real Parker Klingman. But <laughs> you you want to like, you, you don't get you as much you used to. You want a check mark yeah. next to your name in iRacing yeah. is what you're saying. You know what? That's a great That'd point. A Why good do idea. I have verification? That all right, cool Steve Myers, ring me up. You can you can deposit yep. the uh, the check for the suggestion in my account. Yeah, maybe I give it like real not. life drivers their own license or something. Yeah, yeah, well that and like some sort of verification, and then maybe there's a thing where you can like switch to an anon at times. 
but that would probably be a horrible choice. That is a terrible <laughs> idea, Parker. Take that take that idea and throw it in the trash can. You know, burn it and out, then like... throw it in the trash can. I want to I want to make my username today Landing Castle. That's what Parker's going to be over there doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh guys, I have a few questions? more questions. Oh, a few, few more. more questions. Okay. A few more. Uh we can rapid fire them if you want. Yeah, let's rapid do that. Fire. Okay. Uh this is from the IS Parker Clearman a question guy on Twitter. Uh I'd particularly like to hear how model-based engineering could help out the sport as a whole. I don't know what that means, but Parker, you might know what that means. I actually don't know what that means. I'm going to admit, I don't know what that means. Josh, do you know what that means? Model, modeled base engineering. I think he's talking yes. about scaled model. If I had to take a guess, like making a scaled model of your race car to determine how maybe the aerodynamics might adjust it, or if they're talking 3D modeling where you use aerodynamics and stuff of that nature um, in a in a simulator or something of that nature to simulate how the car reacts with certain loads and forces, how it can improve. That's what I f- but, think he's talking about. Well, it also could be in 3D printing, which is the rapid prototyping stuff, um, which I know that's what Brad Kozlowski's CAM engineering or CAM, whatever that is, does. Um, and it's a big topic in like the space industry and then also uh, the what well, the armed forces industry. Mm. Um, where they, you know, and then also cars and all that sort of stuff where they can make rapid, quick prototypes, 3D printed, and then be able to decide if it's, you know, whatever they're trying to use it for. Yeah. So, yeah, those are rapid. Uh, yeah. It already but happened. Your answer is definitely if weren't case, rapid. It definitely happens. So, okay. Go on. Uh, here's another one from Joseph Selby An expl- explanation of why controllers are the best driving device. Uh, it's pretty <laughs> yeah. simple. They're just the best. Back when I used a wheel, I was pretty decent, but with a controller, I'm just as good, probably because I've used a controller even longer. I still think to this day, if you take Ray Alfala and you put him on a controller for two months, he'll be just as fast as he is on a wheel. Thank you. I wouldn't like as much. My thumb would hurt. Next one. Next question. The, this is from Noah Larson. The real-life consequences of things that transpire in sim racing, both positive and negative. The real life consequences of what transpires in is this sim a question racing. Question or is a statement? No, it's a question. Both positive and negative. What are your thoughts? Like, what are some things? Well, that... you could get banned from iRacing, and you've already invested a year into that uh, into that subscription, so you're out money. That's a that's a negative. Yeah, well, I, I think he's I think he's going for something more on like a deeper <laughs> end. You know, maybe okay. like in Parker's maybe in Parker's case, it's getting ready for a track in real life. You know, you're practicing God. for a real life race. You know, maybe for me, it's uh, my room. I still haven't cleaned it because I've been driving the Mercedes F1 car. <laughs> that kind of thing for That's Josh. A real life, yeah, I have a job that I that literally did not exist before the pandemic because of sim racing. Yeah. There you go. It's perfect. Same. I had a company that did exist. Uh, yeah. So there you go. There's there it is. We answered it for us personally. I think everybody has their own for sure. I think. Mm. Maybe I, I'll think about it more, and maybe I'll go in more of a deeper level. Maybe I'll write an article. Yeah. There you, uh, go. you could put that on, on, our, and, on our mailing list. Yeah, and last question. Pro or con of alt accounts in iRacing? Pros and cons of alt accounts. Well, we just did it. Pros. Did you, don't have, you can race easier drivers until you're not. Cons. There's less consequences? I don't know. 
I don't know. I've never, subscription. I've never mm-hmm. understood the concept. I don't get it. I've never I understood either. I get it. Yeah. Uh, it. At a time, it was for like, you know, like pro drivers to protect their safety rating. But yep. even now, there's pro drivers who just race on a main account. And, you know, if they have to run some time trials to get their safety rating up, that's just what they do. Got it. You know? Yeah, but that's I don't know. I don't like I'm that. not a big I, fan I, of them. I think it's no. fair that iRacing allows them. Um, they seem to be OK with it, which is cool. Uh, but I'm personally yeah. not a fan. Um, What's doing for a meme? Yeah, doing for a meme. Go ahead. There you go. Well, I'm sure we gotta say that we don't condone doing it for a meme. <laughs> well, a That's, meme uh... as in like, I, I don't mean like a meme, meme. <laughs> what did you think I meant? I, AJ, I know, you're the meme. You're the meme king. I I don't know what you mean half the time. Meme lord. Meme lord. I, sorry, controller king. Meme lord. Um, do we, uh, so we saw several of you leave, um, feedback and we thank you for that feedback, uh, as well as the reviews on your, your platform of choice. We noticed that and we really appreciate you guys who are leaving those five-star reviews on Apple podcasts, subscribing on Spotify podcasts, leaving comments on our YouTube channel. That, that has been super duper helpful. And we appreciate you guys sharing your feedback and letting people know that you enjoy the podcast. So if you get an opportunity to do so and you're enjoying the content, please be sure to leave a five-star review, a like, a comment, subscribe on whatever platform that you are listening on. Um, and I saw that we had one listener from Switzerland. So Whoa. hello, That's Switzerland. Cool. Yeah, we had one from uh, Southern Africa as well. Oh, wow. Look wow. at that. So worldwide podcast already. Global. We are the first no, episode. We are global. I just I'm giving a shout out to one uh comment left on our YouTube uh for the podcast <laughs> that's by Ricky Harden. Track limits suck PK for president. Rock on Ricky, thank you. I agree. And Sean well, McLaren, we also saw your uh, your comment on the Apple podcast saying that you enjoyed it straight from the beginning. We appreciate it very much. Thank you, Sean, for the feedback. And we'll be looking forward to some more comments hopefully uh next week. Yeah. So all right, guys. That's I mean, a wrap, that's I think. That's a wrap for the Eraser podcast. Be sure to, uh, as Josh just alluded to, subscribe, review us, listen on your favorite platform, whatever it is. Send in questions, suggestions. We'll probably do this on maybe Twitter Spaces next. We'll see. I don't know. We're going to get crazy and hopefully eventually figure out how we can bring some of you up and maybe let you ask questions. But you got to be listening for a while so we can trust you're not going to get up there and just be a crazy person. So um, don't do that to us, please. Don't make us edit. We don't know how to edit yet. So we're not going to do that. It costs too much money. Guys, that's a wrap on episode two. Happy holidays, everybody. Enjoy. Happy holidays. Enjoy the next week and all of the time with your family. And we'll look forward to chatting with you guys next week. Are you going to do the rollout thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. I forgot to do that. Okay. Goodbye. That's what I was waiting for. I'm sorry, guys. Yes. There you go. That's pretty good. So we're just going to continue with the uh, talking over the outro. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be the new thing. Yeah, that's our thing. All right. Oh, oh Parker's <laughs> going to phone call. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Is it over? I haven't hit stopped recording, Ariel. I'll hit it now. Uh-oh. Bye.